After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Elizabeth. Good morning, everyone. My name's Sam. I'm the pastor of the Uni Church congregation here. It's a pleasure to be uh, leading you through this part of God's Word this morning. And so we've come to these last words in Matthew's Gospel this morning, the last words that Jesus spoke before his ascension to be with the Father. We heard the resurrection story again, as we heard uh, last week, and we saw that story flow into this final scene, and Jesus' final words then are, are to encourage, to strengthen, to send out his followers. Jesus spoke these words that we've heard to invite his followers, his people, to take their place in the most extraordinary global project that has ever taken place. God's plan to spread his gospel to every corner of the earth. 
And so it's my prayer this morning for us that each of us will hear Jesus' words and obey them. It's my prayer for all of us that we will increase our vision for our role in God's global gospel project, whether that's stepping out to share the gospel with one person, whether that's beginning to support global mission, whether that's to step forwards to offer yourself vocationally to reaching the unreached people of this world. I pray that God would work in each of us this morning. So, verse 16, the disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Back, back to where it all began, back to the scrubby hills and the rocky fields of Galilee. In verse 10, Jesus asked the women at his resurrection to go and to go to the disciples and tell them to go to Galilee. And now we see that it's to this particular mountain where they're sent. And who knows what kind of emotional state these 11 guys are in, right? Judas died by his own hand after betraying Jesus. The 11 fled while Jesus was brutally executed, only to hear three days later from Mary Magdalene and the other Mary that he was risen and that he was coming to see them. What are they to think, right? On on the one hand, if these women were, were mistaken or lying, then their worst fears are confirmed. Their spiritual leader is dead. The hopes upon which they've built their very lives are utterly shattered. But on the other hand, if it's true, if he really was alive, then they, these 11 men, stood in this unique world-changing moment, the very moment which would change everything right in front of their eyes. So that they're kind of suspended, right, between devastation and wonder. And they come to the mountain. The mountain throughout Matthew's gospel, the place of, of revelation from God and communion with God. And there they see Jesus. When they saw him, verse 17, they worshipped him. What else could they do? What, what other response was fitting for this moment, for this person? But some doubted. The, the, the word there, the Greek word that's translated as doubted, it's, it's a word that's closer to hesitation than to disbelief, as though you might doubt before jumping off a high cliff into a pool of water. So even for these men who spent three years of their lives walking with Jesus, hearing him speak, watching him work, that the reality that they're seeing before them is still just beyond belief, beyond understanding. They don't know what to do. Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Go. We go in his power. We go in his authority. The other day, I was at Ceres in Brunswick. Maybe you've been there. It's an, it's an urban farm. It's got gift shops and businesses and workshops and classes and cafes and things like that there. And there's this young guy doing his first shift at Ceres as I'm buying my coffee. 
and he, he nervously navigates the till system as I'm making my order, which is a flat white, pretty simple. I wouldn't think it'd be that hard, but he's, he's struggling. Uh, and there's a manager standing kind of over his shoulder, watching him, helping him when he needs help. After he's taken my order, eventually, I kind of stand to the side and wait while my coffee gets made. And then the person behind me in the line steps up to the plate with this guy. It's a woman with a laptop and a portfolio under her arm, and her eyes are kind of moving around the room, looking at everything in the, in the cafe. And she's talking to a guy in a suit. And as she sets, steps up to the plate, she sends suit guy over to sit at a large table which has a closed sign on it. And the young guy at the till kind of looks more nervous and, and looks at the table and the guy sitting down and looks kind of desperately back over his shoulder at his manager and at this woman. And then the woman steps forward and she says, hi, I'm Jill, I'm the CEO of Ceres, welcome to the team. Could you make that table available for us? So at this moment, the guy, he doesn't really have any option here, right? She's, she's asked him a question, but there's really only one possible answer to this question. And, and here, Jesus, he steps up to these disciples and he says, I'm the king of the universe. Welcome to the team. Go and make disciples. There's really only one response that is fitting here, Right? This is not a command to say no to. We saw last week on Easter Sunday that Jesus really did rise from the dead. He really is the king of the universe. All authority on heaven and on earth is really his. So when he says go, we go. But Jesus' authority, it's not just authority to kind of make us jump to it and obey without thinking, right? It's, it's authority that, that powers us in our task. It's authority that assures us of the ultimate success of the project that we're given. And it's authority that isn't just over us who are sent, it's also over those we are sent to. And for the task that Jesus is giving his disciples, we need his authority, don't we? Go and make disciples of all nations. As he commissions these 11 unremarkable men on a dusty hillside in backwater Galilee, Jesus' task is one that would surely be impossible unless it was carried out by his authority and plan. These 11 nobodies and the handful of other Jesus followers who were with them Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. It's a seemingly impossible mission for them. But it's happening, right? This seemingly impossible mission is coming about. From 11 followers of Jesus, there are now billions of followers of Jesus. It's the world's largest faith and increasing in number every day and every generation. Yet it's not a, not a completed mission either, is it? Two-thirds of the world's population still don't know Jesus, still don't love Jesus. We need the ongoing authority, the, the power of Jesus to propel us through his mission. 
So we go in his authority, and we go because he sends us. In his wisdom, in his grace, in his generosity, in his determination to be glorified in the heavenly realm, Christ chooses us to complete his mission. If you've been around for a long time, if you've heard these these verses here a lot of times, it's, it's easy to just kind of receive that unthinkingly, right? To let it wash over you. But it's remarkable. He draws us into his cosmic, eternal work. It's wonderful. It's like a father inviting his child to help him cook dinner, right? He doesn't need the child. The child is likely to make it more complicated and messy. I can certainly testify to the truth of that. Yet he still invites and supports and encourages. God calls us to be part of his, his global, his cosmic work of bringing the world to know Jesus. And as Jesus calls us here to make disciples of all nations, he's not so much meaning modern nation states like Australia or China, but, but people groups. It's, it's the word ethnos. It's like make disciples of all ethnic groups. This is the, the, the culmination, the kind of crown of an unfolding theme throughout Matthew's gospel of uh, the, the message of God, the gospel going from being for Israel to being for the whole world. It's difficult to, to capture precisely in kind of statistics, but by one reasonable measure, there are about 17,000 people groups in the world. And more than 6,000 of them are unreached, which means there are so few believers in that people group that there's no self-sustaining church indigenous to that people group. 6,000 people groups that either have no Christian community or one so small and so precarious that it relies on outsiders to keep it alive. God will call some of us here in this room to reach those people. Some of us will go to the ends of the earth to make disciples of Jesus. Others of us will stay here, making disciples here, sending others out. We're already at the ends of the earth, right? Melbourne is a long, long way from Galilee. There are people all around us who don't know Jesus. And those who go out to share the gospel with unreached people will do so as part of a line of gospel missionaries that stretches back and back and back, back to to ancient monks going to unknown lands with no hope of return, medieval traders taking the gospel across Europe and Asia and Africa, preachers sent out to tribes who'd killed all those before them, Travellers smuggling Bibles into dark places. Now, it, it's an a unfortunate, sad reality of history that sometimes those who came with the gospel to unreached people came alongside those with guns and power and other plans. That the desire to make disciples has sometimes been entangled with the desire to make profit or to make culture. It's a sometimes messy history, right? 
at Uni Church, one of our members come one day, she said to me the other day that growing up in Kenya, missionaries were, these, these are her words, weird white people who she didn't know why they were there, why her parents were friends with them, or why they always had dirty feet. That was her experience of missionaries growing up. It's worth saying, though, that the, the stories that we hear of, of missionary endeavours being caught up with you know, Western colonial agendas, they, they're challenging, but they're not the whole story. And indeed, there are many stories, even here in Australia, many, many stories of gospel missionaries being the very ones who have restrained violent conquest and genuinely sought the flourishing of the people that they reach. Jesus' vision is is for a a global church enriched by its diversity of people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. See his, his command there, right? The disciples are to teach those that they go to, those that they reach, to obey everything I have commanded you. And that includes this very command, doesn't it? So these disciple makers are to teach others to be disciple makers, to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And in that way, each, each nation, each people group receives and propels the gospel with its own unique richness and expression. That's why the, the 6,000 unreached people groups is such an important measure. Right? As, as followers of Jesus, we want to see every people group on the planet have a thriving and growing and locally led church with its unique expression and richness and, and worship. But it, it's still outrageous, isn't it, to some? In, in, a, in a multicultural, relativistic world, Jesus calls us to give our lives persuading people of other faiths to believe in Jesus. There's, there's no hiding from that. We are not people who believe that all religions are equal ways to know God, that there are lots of ways to connect with God, that what really matters is just the way that you live your life. No, no, those are lies. There are, there are half-truths in them, They sound kind of good. But Jesus said that no one comes to the Father except through him. The only way to have life to the full and life eternal is to know and love Jesus. And that is just as true in Saudi Arabia or Japan as it is in Australia or anywhere else. Maybe you've seen this picture before. The policeman that you can see standing there is Sergeant Kevin Briggs. He's been called the guardian of the Golden Gate Bridge. He worked at the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco and his job was to talk down people who were trying to throw themselves off the bridge, like this guy, Kevin Berthier. On March 11, 2005, Sergeant Briggs spent over an hour and a half talking Kevin back over the railing desperately trying to change his mind. Here's what Kevin Berthier remembers. As I stepped over the railings, I heard someone say, hey, wait a minute. 
At that last moment, his voice made me stop and grab the railings. I now know that was Officer Briggs. He snapped me back to reality. He tried to show me the important things in my life, focusing on my daughter. Hope came back. I put my arms up and he helped me up and back over the railings. God God sends us out to save souls. The stakes could not be higher. It's the gospel that brings people from death to life. We must make disciples of all nations because we love them. We want them to have life. We go because he sends us. We are God's chosen instrument to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We are it, right? We are God's plan A. We go because he sends us. And in his, in his providence, in his sovereign rule over this world, God has been sending us all along, hasn't he? Because he sends us. The gospel was taken by the Apostle Paul and by others to Rome, to the heart of the Roman Empire, and from there it exploded across Europe, across the Roman Empire along the newly invented Roman roads which connected the ancient world, carried by people like you and me. Because God sends us, Martin Luther's rediscovery of the biblical doctrine of of grace and the reformation which he launched was made possible by the new technology of the Gutenberg printing press. For the first time, the Bible and other literature could be mass printed, not just written out by hand and taken to the ends of the earth, carried by people like you and me. Because he sends us, Charles Spurgeon's ministry occurred at the time that the telegraph made worldwide communication possible in a moment instead of in months. His sermons were telegraphed and printed around the world. In one story, a murderer waiting to be executed in a South American prison was given a gospel of a Spurgeon sermon carried by someone like you and me, and he got saved. Because he sends us, God raised up Billy Graham, one of history's great preachers, right as the new technology of television enabled his sermons to be preached directly into homes across the world. An older member of Uni Church told me once that he got saved when, as a 13-year-old boy, he was watching TV and there was a Billy Graham sermon on. He got up to change the dial, which is unfamiliar to some of us, maybe to others. He had to do that back then. Uh, and as he walked towards the TV, Billy Graham looked at the camera and said, stop, don't change the dial, this is for you. And he got saved that day. Because God sends us, the great British preacher John Stott's ministry occurred as the British Empire was handing back power to nations and national leaders. Young leaders of many of these newly independent nations came to Britain to be educated and came into his church. And Stott sent them back to their own nations as empowered gospel leaders ready to grow the church there. God's been sending us all along. So what's God doing now? How is God sending us now? Where is God sending us now?
being sent by God to make disciples of all nations. It's the, the big narrative of our lives. We all live according to some script or another, right, with its, its values and its goals and its adversaries. Our narrative, it shapes the decisions that we make. It shapes what we can aim ourselves at. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then your life narrative is, is to take your place in the mission of the resurrected Lord Jesus. It's to be sent. You are one of countless millions of followers of Jesus who he sends to flood the earth with his good news. He might use you in a way that historians write about, like Martin Luther or Billy Graham. Or he might use you in a much more normal way to reach those around you and to grow his kingdom. Whatever he does, it's God's extraordinary work through you. Jesus sends his disciples out before ascending to the Father to prepare a place for them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then as they look at his, his scarred hands, the wounds on his forehead, as they look into his eyes for the very last time, he says these words to them. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We don't go alone. You don't go alone. The one who has authority over all of heaven and earth goes with you. He is all you need. So, if you're here and either you haven't done this or, or you have just decided or are deciding to follow this Jesus, then the first step is to get baptised. It's the first response to the gospel here that Jesus names. We're baptised as a mark of our new life with Christ and as members of his family. So if you haven't, then get baptised. Talk to me or, or talk to Alex after the service if this is you. After that, maybe you feel excited about being sent out by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, or maybe you feel nervous about that. If you're excited, if you want to take your place, play your part in God's plan to be sent out to make disciples of all nations, we'd love to help you kind of discern what that might look like, what the next steps are for you. Alex or I would love to chat with you after the service about what it would look like for you to take the next step in giving your life to making disciples of all nations. And if you feel nervous, if, if the idea of going fills you with apprehension rather than excitement, then I, I hope, I pray that our passage this morning gives great encouragement and strength. Jesus' commission here is surrounded by it, sandwiched by his authority and his presence. He never calls you to do anything that he doesn't rule over or that he doesn't do with you. So just start small, right? If you're not supporting any global mission partners, then just start supporting one through prayer and financial support. 
if you're not sharing the gospel with anyone. Just share the message of Jesus with one person. Pray for one person. And if you're not serving God's people, if you're not building up his church, then just find one way to start serving. He sends us and so we go. And he goes with us. I'm going to thank God that he does go with us and pray that he would keep sending us. So would you pray with me? Jesus, all authority in heaven and on earth is yours. You send us out with your presence. For each and every one of us here, Lord, who is a follower of Jesus, please help us know what it means to take our place in your great plan for this world and to make disciples of all nations. We pray for your cosmic and eternal glory. Amen.